The greatest lack in the American church today is not volunteers or preachers or seminaries or Bibles or even money. Our greatest lack is the Holy Spirit. It is the thing we most need. It's not by great programs or by powerful orators or by worldly gimmicks that a new spirit of godliness will be born in the church. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. Hello all, and welcome to this Friday's A Victorious Life is Yours podcast. Well, we're going to be talking about a subject that is missing in the general church as we know it today. So, don't you go anywhere. I will be right back. Every life needs a purpose to which it can give the energies of its mind and the enthusiasm of its heart. Hello all, and welcome to A Victorious Life is Yours. There is a place here reserved just for you to be inspired, uplifted, encouraged, and strengthened in your daily walk of life in every area of your life, spirit, mind, and body. I'm Renee Marie Jones, your host, and I love and live to empower people to make a difference in their own lives as well as everyone that they come into contact with. So, if you're ready, I'm ready. Let's get started, Victorious Ones. Good afternoon, all, and welcome to this week's A Victorious Life is Yours podcast. I hope everybody has had a great week and looking forward to the upcoming weekend. I know that I am. Well, we're going to go ahead and get started. Just wanted to backtrack a little bit as we uh, go back to last week's podcast when we talked about the reset because last Sunday was Pentecost. And in looking at the reset, we looked at what the disciples did for those 10 days uh, after the ascension of Christ, which was pause. And what did they do for 10 days? Because for 10 days we saw in pause the episode podcast pause, that they were in the upper room waiting for the promise that Jesus had promised them before he left. So for 10 days, they weren't really doing a lot in terms of what we're going to see now. So we come from a place of pause the week before to reset, which was Pentecost, And we looked at what happened on the day of Pentecost, how the lives of the disciples took for a turn. We looked at the falling of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit came into the upper room, rested upon each of the 120 men and women who were in that room, how Upon that happening, they all begin to speak with other tongues. There were in Jerusalem at that time, every nation of the known world represented that was there for the Passover feast, was there for the Pentecost feast because it was mandatory for Jewish people to be present for Pentecost, which was a celebration of uh, the grain and the wheat harvest, as well as celebrating um, 
and memorializing the time when the Jews received the Ten Commandments from Moses. So it was a, a great celebration, celebratory time, and all nations, tongues, and tribes of Jews were there represented. And they got to hear the gospel in their own tongue. That was in Acts chapter 2. So we've already seen how one person, and that was Peter, who took the limelight in Acts chapter 2, stood up and, and gave a great sermon, powerful sermon, so powerful that 3,000 hearts were convicted and 3,000 people gave their hearts to Jesus. So what was different? Evidently, there was something that was different about Peter. Now, the 11 disciples that were in that room, we're going to see, and especially looking at Peter, that he was radically changed. This was the same Peter who had denied the Lord three times. This was the same Peter who um, had ran and hid himself because he was fearful. But this same Peter, after Pentecost, preached a sermon and 3,000 people were saved. So what happened to those 11 disciples? They were radically changed. They went from being ordinary men. They were just fishermen. They weren't scholars. They weren't leaders. Most of them were just ordinary people like you and I. They were, uh, they did the wrong things like you and I did. They panicked in the face of danger. They didn't understand what Jesus was teaching. They had little sense of power. They had in-house bickering. They didn't think that they could do anything. They kept taking their eyes off of Christ. They failed many times and Jesus rebuked them many times. <laughs> Oh, little men of, oh, men of little faith, he said one time, how much longer shall I be with you? You're slow of heart to believe. Jesus rebuked them time and time again. They fell asleep at most critical and crucial times. And yet after Pentecost, these men, as we're going to see, were changed. They were different. They didn't flinch in the face of danger. They stood up to the very ones that they were hiding behind the closed doors from. Instead of foolish and cowardly statements and instead of in-house bickering, they made strong and righteous statements. And we're going to look at those in a few. So this significant change and the significant difference for these men, the transformation that came upon these men happened as a result of Pentecost. So we are now past Pentecost. The reset button has been pressed. And when the reset button was pressed, the power of the Holy Spirit, because remember, that's what Jesus promised them back in Acts chapter one. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be endued, submersed with power from on high, and you shall be witnesses of me. You will go not just into, into Judea and Jerusalem and Samaria, but into the uttermost parts of the world. This was the new thing that was going to take place, the new happening that was going to take place, the new move of the spirit that was going to take place because Joel had already prophesied that in Joel chapter two. He said, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And we saw that at Pentecost. So we know that what happened to those 120 original believers, it was the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's look at Luke chapter 11. 
And we're going to do a lot of uh, going and looking at scripture on today. So I hope you have your Bibles and I hope you are taking notes if you don't have your Bibles so that you can uh, go back and look at everything that we're going over. So be sure that you are keeping up with us. I hope you'll keep up. Okay, Luke chapter 11. And we're going to start with verse 5. It reads, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me, for the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, Though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. And I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Verse 10. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Now here, Jesus is teaching the disciples about persistency, persistence. He's talking here about persistent prayer. Remember, this friend would not go away. He kept knocking on the door of his friend, asking him for something. And finally, the friend, because of his persistence, he said, I will rise and give him what he needs. So he goes on to talk about the fact that if you, as a father, and I know those of you that are parents out there that are mothers and fathers, when your children ask you for things, it's your pleasure to give them what they ask for, especially if it's within your power and within reason. And you don't give them something the opposite of what they ask for or something that's going to hurt them or not benefit them. And usually because of their persistence, and even though you may not wanted to give it to them at first, because of their persistence, you give in and give it to them. So Jesus is showing us here that if you ask for the Holy Spirit, if you are persistent for the Holy Spirit, if you are uh, desirous and seeking the Holy Spirit with your whole heart, then that is what he would do. He would give you what you ask for. It's persistent prayer. It's persistent, a desire to seek after the Holy Spirit. Because remember, these men and these women did not know what they were waiting for. They only knew that Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the power from on high. They didn't know what they were waiting for, but they were obedient. They went and for 10 days they waited. While they were waiting there, we know that uh, Peter actually stood up and suggested to them that, you know what, we, 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 we've lost a disciple, we need to replace the disciple. And so they drew lots and Judas Iscariot was replaced by Matthias. 
So if that was going on, they had to have been doing some things. They sought him. They desired this, the Holy Spirit, even though they didn't know that's what it was. And they waited for him. Sometimes we get so impatient when God says to wait because we don't know what we're waiting for. If, if I knew that I was waiting for the bus or waiting for the metro or waiting for an important phone call, then sometimes that could be easier to wait for. But if someone tells me to wait for something, quote unquote, and I don't know what the something is, that could be a little difficult. I could become impatient in waiting. So the disciples didn't know what they were waiting for, but they, 120 of them, stayed in place and they waited and they were in unity because everybody up there was on the same page. If they weren't on the same page, they would not have been up in the upper room together as one. The Bible tells us in Acts that they were on one accord in the upper room waiting. And while they were there, we know that they prayed and that's key. That's the first key in the seeking of the Holy Spirit, that they prayed, and number two, that they studied the scriptures. They prayed and they studied the scriptures. So they were already in a seeking mode. They were already in a seeking mode. They were willing to do whatever it take to seek the Holy Spirit. They were willing to do whatever it took to go a step further with God, they didn't know what they were going to receive. They didn't know what they were going to get, but they knew that if Jesus said to go up there because they had been with him for three years, they knew that they were going to get something. They knew that they were going to get something. Now, the disciples before Pentecost and the disciples after Pentecost, as we said, there was a complete difference in them. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm more like the disciples before Pentecost. I sometimes will panic in the face of danger. I have to keep learning the same lessons sometime over and over again. I've got to keep going back to that grade. I've got to keep taking that test. I sometimes don't really sense or am aware or acknowledge God's power working in my life. You know, I, I don't, I know that God is working in my life, but there are times when I, I feel afraid and I feel timid. And I, you know, often will worry about a situation or I'll worry about a circumstance. I'll, I'll, when I get up to pray about it, I often fall asleep during prayer. You know, the disciples that fell asleep when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane. I know some of us might've said, how in the world would you fall asleep? Jesus asked you to pray. Well, I have fallen asleep when Jesus has asked me to pray. And, and I know that you have too. I'm, I'm often thinking about, you know, what people think of me, you know, how do they see me? And I sometimes don't know what to say when I'm giving an opportunity to speak. And I'm constantly missing the mark and getting things wrong. So there's not really a big difference between the disciples before Jesus and myself. But they needed the Holy Spirit, just like you and I need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to be looking at. We don't need a, a self-program, health, self-help program, and we don't need uh, another ritual. We just need the power of the Holy Spirit, the very same thing. And that was key. The word power, dunamis, that's the Greek word, dunamis, and you shall receive dunamis, which is uh, the root 
word of our word, dynamite, power. So the disciples were actually seeking the Holy Spirit. They were in a posture, meaning posture. When I say posture, I'm talking about the attitude of their heart. The attitude of their heart was a, a heart that was seeking for more of God. Then three years is not a long time when you think about it, especially with Jesus and all that he was doing. And then the four day, 40 days that he came when he upon resurrection, he spent 40 days again teaching and preparing. That still wasn't a long time. There was more of him that the disciples desired. So they were in the seeking mode. Now, for some people, there may be reasons why, you know, I, I, I want more of God, but I, I'm not seeking God. I'm not seeking the Holy Spirit. There's two things that might be the cause. One could be fear. I, I, I have a fear of being close to God. I, I don't know what God might ask me to do. I may not have an understanding of who God is, and I don't have an understanding of who the Holy Spirit is, because that's who we're talking about now. I, it's, it's difficult for me to understand things that I don't have a grasp of, and, and it's, it's probably going to require sacrifices on my part. And, you know, we often think of the things that we have to surrender and the things that we have to give up in order to get something. And we weigh that in the scales and think that what I'm giving up is going to be more than what I'm going to get in return. So that is also a fear getting close to God. And I know it sounds weird. Why would we have a fear of getting close to God? But you'd be surprised. And then the other fear might be that, but if I go, what if I go to the other extreme and just become one of those quote unquote, holy rollers, as people call, you know, some people call people who are just really into God and really have a strong relationship with God and are just so in love with God and they don't care about who knows it. So it's, you know, I don't want to go to that other extreme but there is a happy median. There's a happy median. And truth be told, I mean, we get extreme for a lot of things. We get extreme for our favorite football teams. Have you seen some of those face paintings and some of those costumes that people wear when they go to a football game? And, you know, some of the, the, the little uh, slogans that they have on their signs. I mean, we go to the extremes for things that we really love and care about. But when it comes to God, we think that going to church three and four times a week and, you know, fasting is an extreme and all night prayer is an extreme and uh, having a two week revival is an extreme. And all of these things are ways that we seek God. But are they really? And that's that's just the matter of that's the perspective that we have to be looking at as we're looking at this period in time where we are right now. Do we really want the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, we're, and we're going to look again at, we're going to look at that of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to use as a reference that Luke chapter 11, verses five through 13, because this is dealing with the persistent seeking of something that we want and something that we know is necessary and needful. So they the disciples sought him, they desired him, they waited on him, they were in unity, they prayed and they studied the scriptures. Now we know that they studied the scriptures, we can assume that, because when Peter stood up to preach that sermon, he actually took them, he preached the gospel. He went all the way back and preached the gospel. So let's look at that in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Let's go up to speed here. 
Acts chapter 2, and we're going to start with uh, verse 40. Yes, that's good. Yes. Because when we look at um, starting with verse 14, Acts chapter 2, verse 14, 14 through 40, Peter is preaching. And it says here, Look at what he says in verse 38. Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. No, we need to no, we need to back up. Let's back up to verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Look at verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who were afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Now, this goes back to what we just read in Luke chapter 11, where Jesus says, if you as fathers and mothers give good gifts to your children, how much so will God give the gift of the Holy Spirit? And here Peter is again emphasizing that he says the promise is to us. The promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and it's for I. It was promised to the disciples and the apostles and the and the early church. But that promise still holds for you and for I today. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to, to them. This is Peter. Obviously, there is a radical change in him. And the common denominator is the Holy Spirit. Because he was not this person prior to Pentecost. Verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So in looking at these passages, there were some marked changes in these disciples after Pentecost. Okay, look at verse 42 again. It said they... Number one, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And this is actually just the apostles' doctrine. This is what Jesus, this is basically has to do with Jesus' teachings. It also has to do with the scriptures, the Bible itself, because, the, you know, it wasn't called the Bible then, but it was the Holy Writ. So they continued steadfastly in the word of God and fellowship. So there was not a separation of spending time together. 
they were spending time together and they were praying and they were studying the scriptures because it says in the breaking of bread and in prayers. So they were uh, steadfastly in the, the doctrines and the teachings. They were fellowshipping, they were breaking of bread, they were going, oh, uh, spending time with each other, breaking bread, having communal meals together, and they were praying together. This sounds like, again, and we know that this is the birthing of the early church. This is how the church was birthed. The church was birthed after Pentecost. And we already see that this was the beginning of house churches. It says, fear came upon every soul, and this is the next thing that they were doing. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, when Jesus walked the earth and they were with the apostles, many signs and wonders were done by Jesus, and they witnessed them. But there were not many signs and wonders that were done by the apostles themselves. Now, back in Luke, I think chapter 10 it is, that they said, when Jesus sent them out two by two, he sent 70 out two by two, they came back and they were excited because they said the demons, we were able to cast out demons. But Jesus said, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm you. Jesus empowered them to go out and to be able to cast out devils. But now the Holy Spirit, because remember, he continued it on. He said, I must go, but I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I must go. And I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here because we're going to look at it in a minute. But I'm going to send you some more help and you're going to receive power. So the, the continuation and actually we saw only a glimpse of the power then. But now after Pentecost, we're seeing the explosion of the power of the Holy Spirit, that the disciples are being empowered by the Holy Spirit to do. It says not a few signs and wonders, but many signs and wonders, because Jesus even promised them. He said, and greater works. I'm, I do great works, but you shall do greater works because the Holy Spirit has come. So they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship. They prayed and they performed many signs and wonders. Look at the next thing. It says, all who believed had all things in common and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So no selfishness here. Very uh, compassionate. And they began to meet the needs. They, they had possessions and they shared them. They sold the possessions. They made sure that everybody's need was met. Again, like we're supposed to be doing in the churches today, every need should be met. You know, we look at the churches and the, the churches, you know, I haven't really taken the forefront with this whole pandemic crisis. I mean, there's been some organizations that have stepped in and have done some things, but I really, really was hoping to see more activation and more involvement of the church because this is who God has called us to be in the earth. He has called us to be the ones to heal the brokenhearted, to bind up the wounds of the hurting. He's called us to feed, not just to feed spiritually those who are hungry, but also to feed those who are naturally hungry as well. And I, and I believe again that God is calling the church in this time, especially this season. That's why he went to pause and then reset. He's reset and now he's ready for us to receive the power and to walk in the power that he's given us through the Holy Spirit to do these things. So they sold their possessions. They made sure that everybody had what they needed. 
And then it says here, they were daily with one accord. There it is again, that unity, that unity piece. That unity piece is a big component of a spirit-filled church, spirit-filled men and women of God, unity. They were with one accord in the temple, breaking bread. They were going from house to house. And look at this. They ate food with gladness and simplicity of heart, joy and gladness. Joy and gladness is indicative of a spirit-filled life. There should be joy and there should be gladness in our hearts. Joy and gladness to serve God. Joy and gladness to serve our fellow man. Joy and gladness in cleaning up the house. Joy and gladness in the menial tasks, the going to work day after day, the raising of our children. There should be joy and gladness. And then they were praising God, praising God, giving God glory, getting, giving God the praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Their hearts were full of gratitude. When you are filled with the spirit of God, you can't help but be gracious and grateful, I should say, to all that God has done for us because he's done so much for us. Jesus died, hung, died, and bled on the cross. He took the sins, your sins and my sins in his body. He came to the sin-sick world. He left the glories of heaven and came to the sin-sick world. He endured everything. He had said he bore our sicknesses and diseases in his own body. He bore our griefs and our sorrows. He knew what it was like to be rejected. All these things that Jesus did, it said that he came into the world that he created and the world didn't receive him. The very same world rejected him. His family rejected him. But yet he allowed himself to, to die on a cross. He could have come down on, off the cross, but he stayed on the cross for you and I. And he didn't leave just there. He also raised, was raised from the dead. He was raised from the dead. The scripture tells us that the same spirit, there it is again, the Holy Spirit, who raised Christ from the dead, dwells in you and dwells in I. So there's a lot to be thankful and grateful for. We should be giving God praise daily, even in circumstances and situations that don't necessarily feel good. If we know the heart of God and the spirit of God resides fully in us, we will praise God and give God thanksgiving. And it says that they had favor with the people that's the other part. Favor. The favor of man was upon them. The favor of man and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So the favor of man was upon them, the favor of God, and then God increased. We may be often wondering or may be wondering why our churches have not grown. Why is there no explosive and has not been in any explosive church growth? Now, I know with where we are right now with the pandemic crisis and in actuality, I've heard people talk about that there has been a church growth and increase in their numbers and their membership since then. And a lot of that has had to do with, I believe, because they have taken church or I should say they've taken Jesus. They've taken the power of the Holy Spirit outside of the four walls into the parking lots outside. They found creative ways in which to reach people through the Internet, through social media, through live streaming and all the various ways that we have been forced to become creative with getting the gospel out. And that, again, attests to the power of the Holy Spirit, that when we allow the Holy Spirit to give us the ideas that we can come up with the creative ways to reach the lost, 
outside of the four walls of the church. So there has been church growth, but this was very indicative of the early church because of the apostles, the power that rested upon them. And because the Holy Spirit, they were filled with the, the power of the Holy Spirit and filled with the, the, the characteristics of the Holy Spirit. They were able to go out and this came out in their preaching and in their teaching, in their love walk, which draws people. So that that actually showed the difference. Let's go to uh, chapter four, Acts chapter four. We're cont continuing looking at the lives of the apostles, uh, comparing it to their life after the Pentecost prior to, as it related to their life before. The difference between who these men and these women were after Pentecost, the difference that the coming of the Holy Spirit made upon them. Acts chapter four. Verse 13. Now, again, I encourage you, I, I love the book of Acts. I've said before in previous podcasts that the book of Acts has been called the Acts of the Apostles, but I call it, and, and I've, you know, uh, read other commentaries where uh, preachers and teachers and uh, those who have written the commentaries have said that the book of Acts is actually the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. Because again, it opens up with Pentecost, with the Holy Spirit falling upon 120 men and women. And then from that point on, Acts chapter one and two, from Peter's uh, prolific sermon in Acts chapter two and the, mm, the extreme burst of growth of those who gave their lives to Jesus because of the power of the message. And we go from there to chapter two and three and the rest of the book of Acts is about the difference that the Holy Spirit makes in the lives of men and women, just like, remember, these were men and women, just like you and just like me. Acts chapter four. So here is Peter and John. They're in custody because they were preaching, because this is actually Peter's second sermon, mind you. This is the same person. Again, I don't want you to lose sight of what we're looking at here. This is the same man that denied Christ three times. And here he has a second sermon that takes place in Acts chapter three where he heals a lame man, okay? And then in Acts chapter four, they are, Peter and John are put into custody and arrested because of the healing of the lame man. Now, look at Peter's response. Acts four, verse five. And it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And they had set them in the midst of them and said, by what power or by what name? Notice that first word, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel. And then he gives this message again. He preaches to the Sanhedrin. Before Pentecost, Peter would have never done this. God lets us know that when we have to appear before men and women, 
And some of you may be in situations right now where you've got to, uh, you, you're kind of leery because you've got to appear before some people maybe who are in high offices and you don't know what you're going to say. You don't have the boldness. We're looking at it right here. Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. He would not have done this. He goes on to say, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to the helpless man by what means he'd been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this is boldness speaking here. Because it tells us in verse 13, now when they, the Sanhedrin, saw the boldness, they saw the boldness, they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. They were looking at uneducated and unlearned men. And because of what they saw, they said, these men had been with Jesus. And they had been with Jesus. And Jesus said, I am going away, but I'm leaving you not helpless. I'm going to send another helper. So the spirit of God dwelt on the inside of them and filled them. And it caused them to be bold. So we already see that that's one of the aspects of being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's, there's boldness. I mean, Peter would not have been the one to stand up and preach this message like this. Not that same Peter that we knew prior to Pentecost. Okay. So we see radical changes. Radical changes in the disciples after that. Let's go on. Verse 14, and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves saying, what shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them. It's evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Look at Peter's response. But Peter and John, but Peter and, but Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing had been performed. Look at Peter's response. He did not flinch, nor will you flinch when you stand before those that you need to stand before. When you allow the Holy Spirit to prevail, when you say, Holy Spirit, fill me to the utmost that I may speak with power, that I may speak with your boldness. And he said, when you open up your mouth, that is exactly what shall come out. He said, we can't help but speak it. 
When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you may want to keep your mouth closed, but all of a sudden, a Holy Ghost boldness, that's when where we get the term, a Holy Ghost boldness will rise up and you can't do anything but open up your mouth. It is truly like fire shut up in your bones. Verse 23 says, and being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. There it is again with one accord, praising God and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the heathens rage and all the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. This is quoted from Psalms uh, chapter two, verses one and two. Look at verse 27. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, and this is this is a prayer. This is a personal prayer, and, I, and I've used this prayer many times before. This is a great prayer. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Look at what happened as a result of that prayer and a result of their boldness. They prayed for boldness. Peter and John prayed for boldness, but they had already spoken in boldness. But after they were being threatened not to speak and preach the name of Jesus, they prayed for boldness. They got together with their brothers and sisters in Christ, told them what had happened. And they prayed for boldness, not that, Lord, don't let them hurt us. Don't let them threaten us again. Or, Lord, don't let any hurt or harm and danger come to us. That was not their prayer. They prayed for boldness to speak the word of God even more. It says that and when they assembled together because they were together, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The place was um, shaken. It was shaken. Now, this is awesome because with the first coming of the Holy Spirit, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit in the upper room, he said that a strong, mighty wind came. And notice, and I hope you heard this, that here again, we see another filling because it says they were filled. But you said, well, weren't they filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two? They were. And if you had noticed in Acts chapter four, verse eight, it says, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. OK, so the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at that. There's one baptism of the Holy Spirit and many fillings of the Holy Spirit. OK. So they were filled with the Holy Spirit. That, that simply meant that they got more of him. They asked for more of him. So he gave them more of him. If I, if you were thirsty and uh, I gave you a glass of water, I filled it all the way to the brim and you drank it and you said, I want more. I'd have to fill it again, wouldn't I? Yes, because you were drinking it. You were intaking it. They were intaking the power of the spirit. They were using and moving in the power of the spirit. And because they were moving and using the power of the spirit, they had to be filled again. So we see that there is a difference um, in this, the disciples after Pentecost. We see that 
they were changed men and women, that they were bold, that they were praising God, that they were unselfish, that they were sharing, that they were preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus, and that they continued to seek for more of God and more of the Holy Spirit. That's for you and that's for I. We're going to continue looking at the missing link because that is what's missing from the believers' lives today, I believe. We don't hear many sermons about the Holy Spirit. We don't hear many messages about the Holy Spirit. We hear messages about Jesus, God the Son and God the Father, but not God the Holy Spirit. So next week, I don't want you to miss because we're going to look at, well, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? So we're going to look at that uh, next week. So this is actually going to be a series. I, I don't want you to miss it. Uh, there's going to be several parts of it. Right now, it may be probably seven uh, parts. This is probably going to be a seven part series of The Missing Link. And I don't want you to miss any of it because I know if you are hungry, as hungry as I am for the things of God, and you can really say that, you know, there is something missing. When I was born again and got saved, I was in church and I remember sitting there thinking there's still something missing. Have you ever eaten a meal before and you weren't quite satisfied? That's the feeling that I had. That might be the feeling that you have. You, you say, I, Renee, I'm born again, I'm saved, I know Jesus, but there's still something missing. I feel like there's something missing. Well then, this, this, this podcast, these series of podcasts are going to be for you and I, for you. And they're gonna be for me too, the missing link. Let's pray. Father, thank you for just another time of, of uh, spending with you, another time of getting into your word, for another time of going even deeper, taking another step in your direction. I thank you for these listeners who week after week have been listening to a victorious life is yours because a victorious life is what you desire for us to have. A victorious life in every area of our lives. Jesus said that I come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. You have given us the victory through Jesus. But Lord, there may be areas of our lives and there may be people who are listening that don't feel victorious, that they're still not quite, have not quite finished or crossed the finish line, or they don't even know if they can cross the finish line. Some may not even be in the race. They have fallen out of the race. They've given up. I pray for them today, Lord. Let there be a renewal, as we talked about on last week. Let there be a renewal, a refreshing, a revitalization, and a refocusing, and a restoring, and a refiring. Lord, thank you. Let us really ponder what we've heard on today. Let us take the next seven days to really seek you. Holy Spirit, we want you to live big on the inside of us. We will look into the scriptures. We won't just wait until next Friday, but we will search the scriptures ourselves because we're hungry for more. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to A Victorious Life is Yours. Each week, I will cheer you on to cross your finish lines of victory. You can find me on social media and on my website, reneemariejones.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and comment. Until the next time, victorious ones.